I think a lot of times we want to find an easy way to escape our painful emotions. And, you know, the goal of DBT is to help manage emotion dysregulation. The goal is not to get rid of emotions. In fact, for many of us, we will continue to feel intensely. That just based on our biology, based on our, you know, our brains, our, our, our neuropsychology, we will just continue to feel intensely. We don't want to get rid of that. But what we want to do is almost play with our emotions the way a conductor would conduct an orchestra. Our goal here is to find freedom by experiencing emotion fully. As people with BPD, it's very easy to fall into this idea, this fallacy, that the solution is to never feel anything, to suppress our pain and our emotions. But our emotions need to be felt. Dr. Jesse Finkelstein is a clinical psychologist and DBT therapist whose mission it is to help others find their freedom in feeling. Yes, you and I naturally feel our emotions very intensely, and it can be very painful, and that's okay. And at the same time, we can become empowered to allow our emotions to guide us through life, rather than steer everything out of control. Let's chat about DBT with Jesse. Off we go. Quiet, not silent. So we're here with Jesse. And okay, Dr. Jesse. As a you're a doctor. Well, now. okay. So I I did defend my dissertation. As of this Thursday, I attend my graduation ceremony. So and you're gonna I'm, be a doctor. I'm like on the like it's it's close enough that I feel like we can call me doctor. By the time this gets released, I will be Dr. Jesse. Whomever's listening, Jesse is a doctor now. <laughs> we are here with Dr. Jesse Finkels. Finkelstein or Finkelstein? Whatever. Whatever you want. <laughs> Dr. Jesse Finkelstein. And, okay, first of all, I'm just going to fangirl for, like, two mm. seconds. When I was doing my game design degree, my deep dive, like, thesis, my bachelor's thesis, was about gamifying therapeutic interventions. I had been diagnosed and I did DBT, and I was like, is there a game about DBT out there? And your Kickstarter came up. And I wrote a paper on your game of real life. And now we're here. And I just think that that's really cool. I, Avery, that makes me... I, I That makes me very happy. Uh, um, it is sort of the wonderful thing about making things is the way that it connects you to people that, like, it's just... It, like, it's, it's the fun part. It's like you put something into the world and... Every once in a while, it finds a way back to you in the most ex unexpected, wonderful way. So I really appreciate you telling me that. Thank you. I love this game that you have created. And it's not even... It's a very simple gameplay loop. But 
less is more. The thing that's really great about the game of real life is how accessible it is to learn. It's easy to learn and that's really important when you're gamifying therapeutic interventions because the the harder the game is to learn the less accessible it is. So Jesse's done a really great job with the game of real life in that he's done a less is more approach. It's called subtractive um, game design. Incredibly effective delivery of DBT in my opinion. So um, that's my little TED talk. Thank you Jesse for inventing that game. Amazing. And um, yeah, Jesse's a DBT therapist. We're going to talk about DBT today. And I'm going to ask Jesse some questions about this modality. I think it's really helpful. It's helped me. It's saved my life. It has helped me to eliminate suicide as an option. I'm just really excited to talk to you today, Jesse. So thanks for being here. Thank you here. so much for having me. I'm very excited. So first of all, what inspired you to become a therapist? Because I know that you were previously a graphic designer and illustrator. Yeah, I um, I did a bunch of design stuff. And I think for the most part, I felt just kind of dissatisfied with life in this way. Like I just, you know, I... I was doing things that I found meaningful and I was around people that I really enjoyed working with and collaborating with. And yet I was always sort of wondering, is this right for me? Like I just never, like I never felt settled with what I was doing. And I also found myself sort of really sort of ruminating about the past, experiencing lots of regret and also noticing what other people were doing and oftentimes feeling lots of jealousy. And I, this is going to sound, I feel like, um, I don't know, silly is the right, like I, I have some sort of negative judgments about what I'm about to say next, but basically 2016 came around during the election in the United States. There have always been clearly massive problems in our country regarding inequities and sort of the way that we treat various types of people. And I think at that point, it, everything just felt really urgent in this way. And it felt like the work that I was doing at that time in design felt less urgent to the point where I was just like, I need to do something different. And so then I was like, I, I want to go back to school for psychology. I was like, I just announced it one day in front of a group of friends and everyone was looking at me like, sure. It's like, it's like, you know, it's like, I'm going to go do something. And then I just like kept on, I was like, okay, then we get my post back. I did that started doing like getting some clinical experience and then went to graduate school. Now here we are. Now I'm a doctor. Oh my gosh. I know, I know six years, like six years, almost probably more in the making when I really think about like all the preparatory work that I did. Life just doesn't go according to plan. Like you probably started your whole new academic journey and you're like, I'm going to get it done on time and nothing will go wrong. Oh yeah. It's like, you know, I, yeah. It's like, this is going to be like a clear, just a clear, smooth transition. And it's actually something that comes up working with clients all the time. Like, oh, like I can't tell you the number of, of folks who are like, especially like in their early 30s or late 20s, who are like, like, oh, like I haven't gone to college yet. I feel like I've wasted all this time or I haven't done this thing yet or I haven't done that thing. And it's just like, what's the point? Like, I just feel like I've wasted time. And I will say it is one of my privileges at having gone to school so late to be like, hey, let me tell you, it's never too late. 
you can be 35 and go back and get a doctorate. Like, life is not a straight line. It is not. And, and listen, I don't want to discount, there are certain economic realities to making a choice like this. Like, lots of student loans mm-hmm. were involved. I had to change my lifestyle in any number of ways. And nothing, nothing, it is completely worth it. Like the joy that I feel and I experience doing this work, working with folks in this way, learning these theories, talking about these things, my, I, I feel feel fulfilled in a way that I had never felt before. That's just, and it's not like you're never doing graphic design ever again. It's not like you woke up and you're like, I'm going to go to psychology. I'm going to go study psychology and I am never touching illustrator ever again. Like, I mean, it's. You have really cool videos that that bring that together, right? Like you have a very specific skill set. And I think that's another thing for folks to keep in mind, especially if they're making a transition later in life. Like I, Avery, I tell you, like I kind of did have that. When I first went to graduate school, I was like, I don't know if I'm ever touching the Adobe suite again. Like I'm just going to be like, and I just remember <laughs> my, my mentor at the time was like, 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 no, like, no we got to put these things together. And all of a sudden now is like all this, all my graphic design stuff took on so much more meaning and became so exciting in this whole new way that I had never anticipated. So like, I, I don't know. I just, our experiences, like there are times where I wonder where I'm like, okay, like would it, would have I had any different experience had I started this program when I was 25 versus when I was 35 and I mean, who knows? I mean, I can't. Impossible to say. Impossible yeah, to exactly. Say. And um, I do feel like the experiences that we accumulate, it like, I don't know, I'm going to say all sorts of like cheesy stuff, but I believe that it does enrich like the way that we arrive at things. It's, yeah, I don't know. You're just doing really cool stuff. And I think it's great. You do specifically DBT mm-hmm. stuff. I was going to ask you what a dialectic is, first of all. Like, like start right from the yeah, bottom. Yeah, I'll, I'll, like, I'll take it, I'll take it back to the, um, we'll, we'll take it to the, to the D and the dialect. Okay. So, so, so the dialectic. So, so just for folks who maybe are unfamiliar with what DBT is, DBT stands for Dialectical Behavior Therapy, and it was developed by Marshall Linehan to help folks who were engaging in suicidal and non-suicidal self-interest behaviors. Um, At the time when she was looking to get funding for studying this population of folks, the only diagnosis that would allow her to receive NIH funding was borderline personality disorder. And that's how DBT became the sort of premier evidence-based treatment for BPD. Um, It's a fascinating story how she arrived there. So she started out as a cognitive behavioral therapist. And what that means is that she was looking at thoughts and behaviors and the way they impact emotions and was really trying to help folks do change-oriented therapy. Okay, you're feel, you're suffering right now. Let's change your environment. You're feeling depressed. Let's get out and activate. And 
it wasn't working. Her clients were still feeling suicidal. They were still engaging in these life-threatening behaviors. So it just so happened that simultaneous to all that CBT knowledge, Marsha Linehan also had this profound knowledge in Zen Buddhism. And all these principles around acceptance, accepting how we feel, validating how we feel, acknowledging the reality of our experience with compassion and loving kindness. And so she arrived at what is the fundamental dialectic in DBT, which is acceptance and change. And it's often phrased as we're doing the best that we can and we need to do better. At any given moment, based on our biology, based on our history, based on what we know, how we've been taught, what we've learned, we're doing the best that we can. That I did not know that about Marshall Linehan or DBT. Oh. But I mean, how? I mean, I, I didn't study this, so of course I didn't know that. But yeah, I mean, it is. I, I, I highlight the Zen Buddhist aspects of it because I oftentimes we talk about mindfulness, and it, and I feel like, you know, there's sort of like there are these appropriate elements. It becomes uh, detached from oftentimes the like the origins in which it was emerged out of. And oftentimes it was like a number of like, you know, Western folks going to either Zen practices, Vipassana practices, various mindfulness practices, bringing it over without sort of acknowledging the history. So I think it's important to acknowledge that Zen part. Um, and what, what Marsha found was that when you balance both the acceptance and the change, um, clients respond really well. And when people begin to learn skills to help regulate their emotions, to tolerate distress, to communicate more effectively, and basically naming the various modules in DBT, it helps them move towards a life worth living, which is what our goal is. DBT is not a suicide prevention treatment. It's a life worth living treatment. That's a good way to put that. Yes. Yes. I do say that it helped me to eliminate suicide as an option, but it what I mean by that really is I have built reasons and and anchors in my life to keep me mm. here. And that has eliminated suicide as an option for me. Um so yeah, it for sure is like building a life for yourself that's that's worth living that you enjoy being alive. And that's how, like, suicide is not an option for me. Because I, I like waking up and I find beauty in the mundane things in life now, especially through mindfulness. Now, there are four modules to DBT, right? We did mention mindfulness. What are the other ones? So there's mindfulness and, you know, again, sort of attending to the present moment without judgment deliberately. Then there is interpersonal effectiveness, so these are skills that we use to help communicate to people our wants and our needs and also setting limits. There are also skills that we use to help sort of maintain our self-respect after we have an interpersonal situation, as well as maintain the respect of the other person, if that's a priority. And then we have emotion regulation, which is essentially reducing our vulnerability to unwanted emotions and unwanted emotions can mean any number of things, but essentially emotions that get in the way 
of us living a life worth living emotions that sort of get in our way. So we reduce our vulnerability to those emotions as well as learning how to problem solve when inevitably we experience pain. And then lastly, just stress tolerance. So these are skills that we use when our sort of emotions hit that sort of real peak. Like if we got a, like a zero out of 10 scale of emotional intensity, um, distress tolerance skills are the skills that we use like an eight, nine, 10 to get through a crisis without making it worse. Without making it worse, that phrase changed everything for me. Cause I was like, tried when I first started learning distress tolerance, um, I was so confused. I'm like, why isn't this fixing it for me? I'm getting so frustrated. Why isn't this fixing it for me? And it's just like, it's not meant to turn your emotions off so that you just become a robot. You are learning to literally tolerate the distress and not make it worse. Just, just, there's just no, you're just stopping the dial from turning up the volume. You're just, and, and you're in fact, maybe turning it down just a little bit so that you can tolerate the volume of emotions. Right. Um, and that, yeah, that was a game changer. I think that is be, like, like exquisitely put. Like it really, it, and I think, I think that you're right. I think it can be confusing for a lot of people. I think a lot of times we want to find an easy way to escape our painful emotions. And, you know, the goal of DBT is to help manage emotion dysregulation. The goal is not to get rid of emotions. In fact, for many of us, we will continue to feel intensely. That just based on our biology, based on our, you know, our brains, our, our, our neuropsychology, we will just continue to feel intensely. We don't want to get rid of that. But what we want to do is almost play with our emotions the way a conductor would conduct an orchestra. You know, our emotions, our thoughts, our behaviors, these are all sort of elements that we can manipulate, that we can change, that we can work with in the service of us doing what's important, being effective. Clearly you are very passionate about DBT, um, and which is incredible. Like we need more DBT therapists that are, that approach and think about DBT the way you think about it. And I'm wondering, like, what drew you into DBT? Like, you you asked if you could talk about it before, and now I'm for sure want to, like, kind of open that up. So DBT is a cognitive behavioral therapy. In other words, it looks at, at thoughts and emotions as all behavior. And I'm not going to, I don't want to bore folks with all, like, the behavioral sort of, like, jargon. Um but basically, everything that we feel, everything that we think, the overt behaviors that we engage in are all sort of based around these principles of behaviorism. I think initially, and I say that because initially I found behavioral therapy and talk of cognitive behavioral therapy kind of repellent. Um, I, it always seemed very mechanistic. I was like, oh, this is a treatment that thinks that we're all just robots and we can just, you know, it just seems simplistic. Like, oh, we're just going to change your thoughts and then you're going to be okay. And yeah, like we're going to turn some dials and, and 
it was not until I was introduced to DBT, which highlights emotion, which highlights there's something just incredibly humane about it. There's something incredibly authentic about the treatment in the way that it asks us to show up as clinicians and as clients, as equals, that we're all walking this path of living, that we all suffer, and that our our goal here is to find freedom by experiencing emotion fully or by not becoming afraid of emotion that I just found really compelling. And so once I dipped my toe into that, I then became a radical behaviorist and now fully on board with the whole thing. Um, but this was also all due to my mentor, Shireen Rizvi, who worked with Marsha um, and is a DBT. She lives and breathes the treatment and oftentimes will collaborate with us on TheraHive videos as well. So I think I watched one of hers. Yeah, she has the dandelions video. Um, and then she, we also did a chain analysis video. Also, when I was with, uh, so she has a lab at Rutgers called DBTRU. And we made a series of DBT sort of skills videos with weird marshmallow looking people. Um, and so those are up on YouTube right now as well. But yeah, I, I, the, the treatment holds so much. It's so, it's just so comprehensive. It like takes from everything, from every other treatment. And I love that. So how long does DBT therapy typically last? Like, is there kind of a, a set way to do it? It's a great question. So I should, okay. So there's different ways of accessing DBT. So there's comprehensive DBT, which is the most studied form. And comprehensive DBT includes, and, and I really want to highlight this for folks because I feel like there's a lot of, at times, somewhat miseducation around DBT. Um, so comprehensive DBT, like the full deal, you get a couple of things. There's uh, individual therapy. There's weekly skills group. Then there is phone coaching. And then there's team, which is basically therapy for the therapists. It's, a, it's an opportunity for the therapist to be surrounded by other therapists, problem solve, and case formulate and receive validation. Oh. Yeah. Is that is that the first time you've heard about, about team? Yeah. Oh, that is cool. Yeah. It's really, it's a really interesting, it's like, like having, to, like now I, that's how I want to run all meetings because it is all the yeah. principles that we, I mean, to be a DBT therapist, you have to walk the talk. Like, like we have to practice the same skills. So like during those group meetings, we're all doing all the things. We're calling out the elephant in the room. We're recognizing polarization. We're, you know, we're practicing skills. Love. Yeah. It's, it's wonderful. And so the, the initial studies of DBT were done in year long treatments, a year long dose. 
And what that meant is that is two cycles of the skills modules that you and I discussed. So folks would get six months of mindfulness, interpersonal effectiveness, emotion regulation, distress tolerance, and then they would do it again. And so it was a year long. So now there have been additional studies that shows that a six month dose is equally effective. Um, so now like the clinic that I worked at, we did six, like a six month dose. So people would do one cycle of skills and that's how long the treatment would be. There are other ways of accessing DBT. So there are, there's been plenty of evidence for just skills group alone is one way to access DBT. Um, there is at TheraHive, what we're trying to do, it's not therapy, but it is DBT psychoeducation. So again, we're trying to figure out ways of taking what is a very complex and almost unequivocally expensive treatment for most people and making it accessible. And that's, that's been our goal, making it accessible, making it adherent and making it sort of talk, going back to this sort of idea of gamifying, like reinforcing, like rewarding. Yeah. There's like a, a feedback loop. There's a feed. Yeah. And like, also like, like, how do we make it so that, I think this is the problem with psycho, like, like psychology, like when I arrived at school, like psychologists are brilliant at developing treatments. What they're not great at is selling those treatments. They're not great at, and I don't mean selling it in like a cap, like, I mean, like, making those self, those treatments desirable, making it so that people actually want to like engage with the treatment. And so that's one of the things that I've always, and I think it comes back to the game in general, sort of this sort of perspective that I've taken, which is like, it's not enough to develop this effective intervention. We actually have to make it so that people want to use it. And so that's how we begin to think about TheraHive. Like how do we make it sort of like entertaining? On that, I did notice that there is already like an issue of retaining people's attention, I guess, with DBT. And so like, maybe you've heard of it, like the neurodivergence DBT skills book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I haven't looked at it. I have so many friends that have used it and they say that it it was significantly helpful for them to retain the information about DBT and actually practice the skills because it was presented to them in a way that was more accessible to them and more interesting like less dry and yeah. i find therahive does do that it's a lot more digestible it's not just like walls of text i remember when i was first diagnosed i read like the green book i can't remember do you know like the green dbt book oh the um the uh, borderline matthew mckay I yeah, yeah 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 mckay's yeah yeah the green like, book yeah. Um, that was just like walls of text and I read it, but I was just like, is this one of the only things that's out there? Is this it? <laughs> like you, like you raised like the crucial issue, which is like, again, it's like, it's like the DBT manual is genius. It has so much in it. And yet it is so dry. It's like, how do we make, it's like, as psychologists, we should know better than most what it takes to get people to do things and yet we don't take our own medicine yeah, and here's a big book of walls of text there you like, go have no, fun like, oh like no 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 one wants that experience and so to your point like like that has been our goal like how do we make these 
really life-saving, life-changing skills, both available to people, but also things that they want to engage with. Because availability is only half the battle. The other half is actually getting people to participate. So you mentioned TheraHive a couple times. I know what TheraHive is. I love it. Can you maybe give a little bit of context about TheraHive? We talked pretty much about what prompted you to create TheraHive. Like everything out there is dry right now. We need more digestible and accessible things. What is TheraHive? So I'll, I'll, I'll give the background, the origin story. So I remember, so Roland, who's one of the co-founders of TheraHive, and with, I don't think I'm disclosing anything, with his wife, Alicia, who is a doctor of political psychology and runs a DBT clinic in California, were working on trying to figure out how do we create an online DBT skills course? And completely separately, I was, for my dissertation, planning on doing the very same thing. And then, by chance, Roland reached out to me. I guess, I think he saw either a video or the game and was like, hey, do you even want to speak? And when we spoke, we were like, oh, we are all doing the same thing. Let's do this together. And so we did. And TheraHive is a platform for psychoeducation. It's unique in that, one, we are looking at only evidence-based therapeutic interventions. So in other words, treatments that are backed by science, that that work. And we are we have an asynchronous education model. So in other words, folks use our platform to learn about the skills. And then once a week they meet with their hive, which is their cohort of folks that together we review we talk about our experiences with the skills. We sort of sort of support each other through the process of skills acquisition, and we clarify. So it's this sort of like two-part. It's one part like learning online material, second part weekly Zoom group. And so right now our main focus is DBT skills. So we've been doing running DBT psychoeducation groups. I love it. I... I really like TheraHive. I think that this, I wish I had TheraHive when I was first diagnosed and doing DBT. I think that would have helped me quite a bit mm. um, just because of how digestible it, it was and connecting with other people who are in similar positions as me in that they struggle with emotion regulation. Just even knowing and putting faces and names to people who are struggling with that and in this group for the same reason, that would have helped me feel a lot less alone. Um, so that, I think that that is really good. I, I appreciate you saying that. I think to your point, one of the things that often gets in the way of emotion regulation is the shame that we feel about our emotions. It really makes it hard and it increases our suffering. So to know that other people are also struggling that you're not alone in this, um, I think is in fact regulating in and of itself. It just feels good. We need human connection in, in all kinds of forms. 
even doing uh, individual DBT that, that I did, like, sure, it's individual, but I didn't do it self-directed. Like, I could not have done this alone. I could not have gone into this part of recovery alone. I needed even the help of a clinical psychologist to help me. Yes, you mentioned, like, it's not therapy. That doesn't, that doesn't negate the fact that it's helpful and that it provides connection. Yeah, I, I think that, I think that's what we were looking for. Like, you know, it's like, we, we got to like, really, we got to figure out ways of like, these are skills for living. Like, you know, these are ways, like I, I live by these skills. I practice these skills daily. And like, we need to connect with other people. And so I think our thinking about Therahi was like, let's, let's combine those things. Like what is more rewarding than to see other people acknowledge what you've done, how far you've come, how hard you've worked. Like that to me is the most reinforcing thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Seeing like being, do you find that that's like a really rewarding thing about therapy is being able to help a client, like see their growth. Oh yeah. I mean, yes. Short answer is yes. Like I, it is to come away from a session with someone who has at times radically changed their life because of the collaboration that you, that you two have built. It is, it's the best feeling. I remember when I kind of had that moment where my psychologist was helping me see my growth i had never really i don't like i'd ever had that kind of positive reinforcement i guess about my emotions and my mental health because up until that point all i had seen was like it's okay not to be okay and like facebook memes one like is one mental wellness and it's just like okay this isn't helping one like for one serotonin I don't know like honestly um and so she just I did eight months with her yeah and by the end of it she was just like you know you have made a lot of progress and I want you to understand that you have a lot more skills and you've built up a lot for yourself in the past eight months when you first were sitting in my chair here Wow. And, and I was like, yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, you're right. And she's like, yeah, you don't notice it because it's just baby steps every day. It's like watching a plant grow. If you're, you know, it, it grows a little bit every day. And so you don't notice how much it's actually growing until you think about what it looked like as a sprout. Um, and so you should celebrate. You should go and do something really nice for yourself. And so we're going to spend some time in, in session today planning out what you're going to do to celebrate. And I was like, wow, this is great. I think it is a testament to the progress that you made that you were willing to do that. I can't tell you the number of folks where it's like, okay, today we're going to celebrate how hard you've worked. And they were like, no fucking way. Like, no. And like, then sell, like, then pride becomes an exposure. Like, okay, we're really going to sit with this. Like, let's feel this pride. Cause it's really hard. It's, you know, people have all sorts of thoughts like, Oh, if I allow myself to celebrate, then I won't be watching myself. And then I'm like, what happens if I slip up? And like, Avery, that's amazing. 
that's that, that like that's like that's the um that's one of the wonderful things about therapy is that I get to bear witness at times to people work so hard and then remind them of like you're doing the hardest thing in the world and you're doing it. Well, and like your your DBT therapist is not it, they're not doing the work for you. They are you're on a path. They're shining a flashlight for you as to where you need to go, but you they can't make you take the steps and they can't make you walk down the road. They're just shining a flashlight. The work that you do is is you walking down that road and choosing to follow that light that they're that they're holding for you. That's what it is. Right? But you can't you can't like make any distance unless you take the steps yourself. I I I love that metaphor. I think that that oftentimes and oftentimes it, it's us shining the light together. Like I I freely like I don't have any monopoly over the truth or what's right. And I think this is one of the beautiful things about DBT. I mean, we recognize that there is no single truth, that many yeah. things are true. And so, you know, there can be times where I'm shining a light and the person I'm working with is shining a light and we're looking in two different directions. And then maybe it's like, we have to, I don't know, hold the flashlight together to find the middle path. What are your, some of your favorite DBT skills that you use a lot Ugh. that you just, you just love them so much. Let's just, this is just fun stuff now. The okay. last like few minutes. Sure. Top Top five desert island DBT skills. All right. Okay, perfect. All right. Um, number one, mindfulness of current emotions. I do believe that, I'm going to say something really dramatic, um, that the source of almost all of our suffering is our unwillingness to actually experience our emotions. And so mindfulness of current emotions is a skill that we practice to be with our emotions without being driven by our emotions, where we actually learn to practice loving our emotions. So that is, that is my number one favorite. Okay. Number two. Oof. Oof. I, it's, I see the thing about this, Avery, is that I feel like I'm conscious of the ways that my choices will be interpreted as a reflection of who I am as a person. So I am trying to, I, I'm, I'm, there's lots of mental gymnastics happening in my head right now, but okay. I would say, okay, in no order, but another skill that I love is, and I feel like it's an unsung hero is the effectively skill in mindfulness. And the reason why I say that is at any given moment, we have a choice between moving towards what's important to us or getting hooked on sort of the thoughts that are raging in our head that tell us to avoid, to hide, to lash out. Like that sort of take us away from our life worth living goals. And effectively is asking us to take a step back and be mindful of which direction we want to head in. So I love, I love effectively. Um, number three is, I would say, paced breathing. 
in the distress tolerance skills, the tip skills. Um, I actually practice pace breathing as an exercise daily because we know that continued pace breathing, which is pace breathing for folks who don't know, is essentially breathing out for twice as long as you're breathing in. Well, on the inhaling, you're exhaling out for twice as long as you inhale. And the goal there is, is what you're doing is you're, by exhaling, you're activating the parasympathetic nervous system. And when you inhale, you tend to activate the sympathetic nervous system. So basically by exhaling more, you're communicating to your body to rest and quote unquote digest. You're relaxing your nervous system. So practicing 20 minutes of pace breathing a day, we know has had profound effects on cortisol levels on... Uh, yeah. Oh, it, I mean, when I'm doing trauma treatments, that's like we start off asking folks to do 20 minutes of pace breathing every day because we're looking to get uh, some of those hormones, some of those uh, like, you know, cortisol levels, et cetera, down. That was three. Number four, um, I, I feel like I got to pick from each of the modules. So I will say, I'm going to say establishing interpersonal goals. So the skill of identifying what my interpersonal goals are in a given situation is, is number one, to maintain my self-respect. Is it to maintain the high opinion of the other person? Or is it to get what I want? And sort of be, being mindful of organizing my goals in, in, in whatever sequence I deem fit based on the situation. And last but not least, I think accumulate positives in the long term because I think it highlights values and identifying things in our life that are important to us. But then I also forgot about walking the middle path skills. Oh, Avery doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. Just okay. all the skills it's, that I want. I want to take them all. You're only allotted five. I know. <laughs> you're only allowed five, Jesse. You know what, folks? <laughs> That's it. I only got five. Only five. You broke the rules. No, I'm just... <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with those for now. I'm good. I'm good. That's Honestly, a, that's those are goaded. Those are honestly really good skills. And I I haven't thought about those in a long time because I guess I've internalized them. Like, I, I'm realizing that I use those uh, unconsciously now after practicing DBT for so long. Um, so, feels good. Feels good. Yeah, you should. Uh, sometimes I, I slip up, but that's okay. You're I've, human. I've learned to forgive myself and just keep going. That's all good. We're all going to slip up. Yeah. We're doing the best that we can. We can always do better. Jesse, before we go, yes. I really want to thank you for your time today. This has been a super fun interview. And I'm wondering where people can find you online. Would you like to... I will. You, if you would like people to find you online. You can find me online, yeah. All right. I'm going to list all the things. So, I you can find me at therahive.com. Obviously, you can also find me at talkgood.org or talkisgood on Instagram. Um, I have, okay, I'm, tr I have a TikTok. Have I posted anything on the TikTok? No. Will I oh. one day post something on TikTok? Perhaps. 
So if you would like to follow me on TikTok to see if one day I will post something on TikTok, you can do that. And I think my TikTok is DBT Talk. Avery, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming. I've been really excited for this talk. So it has been super good. I learned a ton about DBT that I did not know at all. Chat soon. I'll have to have you on again. And I hope you have a good rest of your night. You too. I love talking to Jesse so much. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. In the next episode, I wanted to make a Pride Month episode. And I'm going to talk to you about my experiences with identity disturbance and how it relates to or doesn't actually, gender and sexual identities. Thanks for listening. Peace out. Quiet, not silent. We can create a perfect world in our heads.